there's a quote when it, it said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Yogi Berra said that. And just how uh, we take that fork in the road determines not only where we're going, but what we'll become. Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors, where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, Brace for Impact. You and I are a lot alike. We're busy and sometimes we get stuck and we need tools to help us get unstuck. And this is why I'm such a huge fan of the Unstuck app. And you can go back and listen to episode one to hear why. But today I'm even more pumped because the Unstuck team has just launched an online platform called Life Courses to help us make a change in our lives by first helping us understand what's holding us back and then helping design a personalized action plan for moving forward. I just started the first Life Course myself and it's a high impact, awesome experience, something you and I can do together. I know what you're saying, I'm too busy and still Life Courses is designed specifically for busy people like you and me, and you're worth it, I'm worth it. So head over to unstuck.com forward slash impact and sign up today. I'd love to hear back from you. Send me your stories via email at info at theimpactentrepreneur.net or the Impact Entrepreneur Show Facebook page. And of course, we will link to all of this awesomeness in the show notes. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. We are here today, round four of four in our leadership series, and I am super pumped for today's guest. I was extremely honored and humbled when his team reached out to me and invited me to have the opportunity to share a conversation with Bernie Swain, the founder and chairman of Washington Speakers Bureau. But before we dive into Bernie's story, I am so excited and thankful for all of those of you who have jumped into the Impact Insiders Facebook community. If you have yet to do that, head over to www.theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash group and jump in there, join the community, be a giver, share resources, share stories and encouragement. This community is for you. Now back to Bernie. Bernie Swain grew up in Arlington, Virginia. His high school athletic director inspired him to pursue a career in college athletics. He earned his undergraduate degree and master's degree from George Washington University, where he met his beautiful wife, Paula. Swain subsequently joined the university's athletic department, and he and Paula started a family. Swain spent the next five years preparing to take over the job of athletic director, But just as his boss was ready to retire and promote him, Swain abruptly quit to join Paula and friend Henry Rhodes to start a lecture agency without experience, without a plan, and without a single client. What happened next is a classic American success story. 
the three co-founders started Washington Speakers Bureau from a small supply closet belonging to the Chuck Hagel, who would later become Secretary of Defense. One rocky year later, just as their savings was running out, Swain secured their first speaker and hastily sealed the deal with a handshake, which was certainly a defining moment for the organization, and together the trio recruited more speakers. Word spread that a new lecture agency was in town and was growing fast and on the strength of a handshake. Indeed, eight short years later, their roster of speakers had far exceeded the industry leaders. Washington Speaker Bureau was now established as the top lecture agency in the world, and its growth and reputation has continued to expand. Over the last 35 years, the agency has represented three U.S. presidents, former prime ministers of Great Britain, countless American and world leaders, business and economic visionaries, journalists, authors, and sports legends. Today, Swain remains chairman of the Washington Speakers Bureau. He and his wife, Paula, have been married for 42 years. They have three children. And if that weren't enough, he is now the author of what is sure to be a bestseller, the new book, What Made Me Who I Am. As you imagine, we cover a lot today, so bust out your pens and papers. Don't be a podcast junkie. Take some notes and brace for impact. Bernie Swain, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Very excited to have you today. We spend time having conversations with people like yourself about how they're using their product, their service, or their platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Um, if you've had a, a chance to tune into our show, we always kick things off with the superpower question. And I think it's important because it's in, it's insightful. It allows us to gain a little bit of a window into someone's mind and how they think. So if you, Bernie Swain, could pick any superpower, what would it be and how would you use it? Mm, superpower. I think I'd, I'd do flying because I, I'd give it a chance to go wherever I wanted to quickly and experience different cultures and different people. Uh, that was That's the unique thing about what I ended up doing, uh, the job that I just fell into in that I got to meet people from secretaries of states to presidents to athletes to authors to uh, people who had been captured uh, in a war. So... Uh, that has become sort of my, uh, you know, passion in life is to meet different kinds of people and learn from their experiences. Yeah, you've definitely had uh, a, a unique life over the last how many years? Uh, we start. I was thirty-five. I'm seventy-one now, and so <laughs> it's been a while. That's awesome. Now, entrepreneurs are trying constantly every day to you know, take technology or relationships and leverage them in sort of a pseudo superpower. So how can entrepreneurs take the essence of the superpower of flying and apply it in our daily lives? Well, I think uh, if I can answer your question this way, uh, I think the most important thing in starting a business on your own is the relationships you develop, the networking that you did. When we started in 1980, there was no internet. I read an article. I, I, I was on a 
15-year career to do something totally different. When I was in high school, I I had a mentor, an athletic director, who talked me into uh, getting involved in athletics and and encouraged me to have a career in athletics. And I got an undergraduate degree at a university in, in physical education. I went back and taught at the junior high school and was the football coach at that school that I had attended years earlier. And I went back, got, got a graduate degree in education, became the intramural director at the university, assistant athletic director at the university. And then within months of becoming the athletic director, a job that I had been promised I was getting, I walked away from it. I walked away from it because I read an article in Fortune magazine about another lecture agency that had walked previously walked into the Ford White House and picked up Gerald Ford and Henry Kissinger and Alex Haig. And, uh, and in the article, Henry Kissinger asks the head of the agency, why don't I sign with one of your competitors? Because I'm unhappy with a 33% commission rate you're going to charge. And and what he said, he said, I have no competitors. Well, go back to the networking. I, there was no internet. There was no way for me to know, is he telling the truth? Is it just a boast that, that he considers himself so good that there's no nobody else? So when we started out in business, we started out not knowing anything. Uh, we, we started in a closet, actually, where if we wanted to leave the closet, uh, we had to walk through somebody's office and somebody's secretary's office and then out the door. And often when there was a meeting going on in the, in the adjacent office, we had to wait in our closet until it was over. And we would send letters out trying to network and build relationships because you, there was no email. There was nothing you could do like that. And so it took us a year of not making any money whatsoever until we until we started developing relationships. So a long way of answering your question, I, I think the, mo- the most important thing is relationships. If you're a coffee store, it's building your customers and wanting those customers to want to come back and be with you. Establishing a brand and people feeling that they're comfortable to be with you. I think that, uh, you know, we did well in recessions when money was tight because people were careful how they spent their money and they wanted to spend it wisely. And that goes back to the relationships. That goes back to developing a culture of networking. Well, let's dive into that a little bit more because you launched this, this uh, the Washington Speakers Bureau in an incredibly pivotal moment, time in history. And as you just said, you leveraged it all on relationships. And I mean, you, you went from athletic director to founder of one of the world's most popular speaking organizations representing people like Madeleine Albright, Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, Sugar Ray Leonard. I mean, you name it, you guys have represented them. And it's all come down to relationships, and it all started with a handshake. And I, I was thinking to myself today, is a handshake good enough today? And I'd, I'd love to get your take on that. And maybe you can share the story about how you were struggling and you started this business and you, a year later you had like almost no money left. And so you just went out on a limb, right? And, and that's, how, that's where things changed for you. Well, I, I think handshake is a symbol of, of trust and honesty. And, uh, you know, 
I, I learned by mistakes, I'll explain, but I learned by mistakes that um, that signing people to a piece of paper doesn't do any good if they don't want to work with you or be with you. Uh, we started, uh, we sat in that closet. Um, uh, it was Chuck Hagel's closet who was, became the secretary of defense years later. And we sat in that closet and nobody would answer our telephone calls. Nobody would answer our letters. Uh, every time we thought of a speaker we wanted to represent, we got a letter back from some lawyer or from them saying they're already represented and don't interfere with existing contracts. So we were within weeks of really closing our closet door. And, um, and I used to, I remember sitting in the closet late at night and thinking, you know, I'd given up a 15 year career doing something and shaking my head and said, what have I done? Uh, a year later, nothing really had changed. The big agency that we were after, which was Harry Walker out of New York, was still controlled the industry. And most of the famous speakers were underwritten contracts with those agencies. And our office was still a closet and we didn't represent anybody. And then just about as we were about to close that door, we got a call from Steve Bell, who was the anchorman for Good Morning America. I had helped Steve get a Used the swimming pool when I was at GW and to do a story for ABC. So that goes back to networking and, and building relationships with people. And Steve had just was, had been unhappy with his agency, had had a written contract and was walking away from it because the, the written piece of paper was had expired. And so Steve says, I'll give you a chance. Well, you know, after a year of suffering and, and not being able to to succeed at virtually anything, we were so excited that we simply shook his hand and we said, you know, that uh, that we got a deal and we'll represent you. And and you know, afterwards, it would, you know, I I said to my my wife and my partner who were in business with me, I said, you know, it was a mistake, but. I can justify the handshake because what good is it to hold people to a piece of paper if they're unhappy? Well, that wrong, questionable decision turned out to be our defining moment uh, for this new little company we started. And word spread in Washington, D.C., which was a small southern town. And a surprising number of speakers, mostly Washington journalists, gave us a chance knowing they could walk away from us at any time if we didn't do a good job for them or if they couldn't trust us, they could walk away from us. And on the other hand, we knew because they could walk away from us that we had to work hard to make them happy. So I think some things just never change. And, you know, while while technology has changed and our ability to communicate with people has changed tremendously, you don't have to write letters to people and wait days for somebody to respond like we had to. You can depend on the Internet and to find out answers that we couldn't find out because there was no Internet. But at the same time, relationships and, and, uh, and networking is incredibly important. Your brand is trust and honesty. Being able to deliver what you say you're going to deliver and deliver it well. So I think I think if anything, a lot of things in life have changed. That hasn't changed, and it should, or it shouldn't change. I was really touched by the sentiment that your wife Paula communicated to you in your early days, and you share in the book about it. Almost seemed like she believed more in you than you did yourself. How did that make you feel, especially in the early years? Well, I think that's the essence of uh, of what's in the book. It's the essence of 
your life. It's the essence of my life. It's the, um, there's a quote that said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Yogi Berra said that. And just how uh, we take that fork in the road determines not only where we're going, but what we'll become. One way or another, I think, these forks in the roads are our turning points. They define us. They begin at early childhood with childhood exper- experiences, our relationships with our parents, our ideas and concepts we wrestle with as young adults, uh, our, our struggles moving for, away from home. They include people who we work with and we call our friends. They, they ch- Getting married changes us, having children changes us, changing careers changing us, changes us, and these Turning points uh, set into motion are set into motion by our own actions. Uh, others are expected and often unforeseen. We suffer from illnesses, um, we uh, death in the family or uh, a friend. Uh, we experience failure, adversity, misfortune, and crisis. Every turning point that we have raises a question and requires of us a decision. And in deciding which fork we take, we weigh those options and consider the positive and negative responses. Uh, These good decisions, I think, are predicated on us making good choices. And this is the moral part of turning points. It's what characterizes successful people. Is there a right thing to do? What effect will the decision I'm making be? What will my decision look like from years from now? You know, I love the title of the book, and and it's both a statement and a question, what made me who I am. And I'd love for to get your thoughts on why you chose that title and why it's such an important question for leaders of the past, present, and future to reflect on. I, I had another title for the book, What Makes Us Who We Are, and, and the publisher changed the title. And I was a little uncomfortable with it because the book isn't really about me. It's about... And it's and while it's about the famous people that I represented, it's really about all of us. Over the course of the years, I've gotten to know many of the clients, and and they are spectacularly accomplished group of people. But the secret sauce really is is that that's responsible for much of their success isn't their talent, but it's the passion that comes from the turning points in their lives. Maybe a better way of putting it is that how they manage their to define their turning points, seeing inspiration and motivation in both uh, the deep disappointments and unexpected opportunities that came their way, and then committing wholeheartedly to a new path forward. I think uh, Paula saw in me something about wanting to make decisions on my own, and that was the passion that woke me up every morning when we were failing. The fact that got me out of bed and got me excited about another day that was probably going to be just like the day before, another day of failure. But what drives us, I think, even more than talent is determination to do something we want to do. I'm not great at some of the things that I do, but I have a passion for it to try to do it well. And uh, I think that's what Paula saw in me a little bit in that she knew that I was determined to see whether whatever I could do, I could do well on my own. Working at a university, you know, you work with committees and you work with staff and you don't get all of your ideas uh, endorsed. You don't, people don't go with all of these things. And she saw in me and what I wanted to do was to see whether some of my ideas would work. I found out that they didn't, but I learned a lot of lessons about leadership 
in starting a new business that made me even stronger and wiser than I was when I started. I think you use the word passion in the, in the proper form because did you know that the word passion actually means being willing to suffer? Mm. And and so you have this this desire you don't have necessarily that all of the skill sets but you have the passion, you have the willingness to to suffer and struggle and you see the opportunity and you're going to go out there and get the skill set. And that's a lot of a lot of the stories in each chapter in each of the featured leaders in your book, I was really struck by how vulnerable and authentic they are between the coaches and the entrepreneurs and the heads of state. And I think it's a very important leadership quality that is somewhat lacking today in terms of vulnerability and authenticity. Why do you think that is today? Why do you think that leaders have a difficult time being vulnerable and authentic today in your experience? I, I think the key is that, um, is that we're not conscious of ourselves. I think you, it's a difficult, difficult thing to be a leader if you don't quite understand yourself, if you don't understand the strengths and weaknesses of who you are. And because it, it's hard for me to lead other people when, when I don't understand myself. And I don't understand human nature. Uh, I mean, part of being a leader is is being, you know, there's a lot of books out about, you know, listing a lot of different ways to be a leader. I think one of the key reasons is, is humility, being able to be a leader because you understand yourself and therefore you understand other people. One of the first lessons I learned, Paula said to me, you know, you, you want to make your own decisions. And if I had been allowed the freedom to make my own decisions, even working for other people in the confines of a university, I would have probably stayed there. So one of the great lessons I learned when I started a business and we finally started hiring people was that, yes, I want to make my own decisions, but I don't want to. But what kind of a company or what kind of an organization am I going to have? What kind of a leader am I going to be if I just tell them what to do? My job is to set a moral standard for them, to give them guidelines and give them the education in order to make their own decisions. I want them to be happy. I want them to be fulfilled. I want them, each of the agents within my company, if I had 12 agents in the company, they were all different and all approached their job in different ways. They all had a moral standard and a guideline in which to live by. And they knew that the, that the first thing they ought to ask is, is whatever I'm doing, is that right and is it honest and am I caring about other people? But at the same time, they had the freedom to make their own decisions. And that is where, that is the job of a leader in order to just set a guideline and set a moral standard and give other people the ability to feel that they've accomplished and succeeded at something. So how did how did you break that out to your team and empower them to do that? Was that did you, was was there a formal process? Well, it was a it was a learning uh, it was a learning process for me. I mean, you start you hire somebody and then you say, "Well, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it." And then you quickly learn you can learn on the faces of the people that you're working with that you know that they have their own ideas and and if and it goes back to paying attention to who you are i went back and started feeling about you know do you remember how you felt when you were working for somebody else and when somebody told you how to do a job and what to do um and and 
are you then repeating history and doing the same thing to other people? I had to understand myself and understand what I wanted out of life and what what I was all about in order to understand and lead other people because I couldn't under, if I didn't understand myself, I couldn't understand them. A moment ago, you talked about honesty and trust and communicating that to your team, but also living that out as a leader. What is the best way for leaders to approach building honesty and trust and integrity among their team and their customers and clients today? Well, I think it comes from the top. I think, you know, I think they, you know, the thing is, uh, Alex Haley, I started thinking about this book because uh, Alex Haley just showed up in my office one day and and um, and wanted us to represent him. And then um, and then he used to come back often and sit and we and he would just talk and he repeated a phrase if that says if an old person dies it's like a library burning uh and what he meant was the experiences that we have in life are the pages in a book that we just or that we turn that is what i learned about other people in fact that in that um that what people see in you is what they're going to emulate and so i can i can say stand up there and give all you know, five or six different points about how to be honest and how to make the right decision, how to care about others. But they're going to see by example of what I do. So my first job was to be an example to other people. I love it. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. When you look at the list of endorsements in your book, it's obvious you're a mentor to many people. Your organization represents some of the world's most important leaders and mentors and coaches. Can you tell us a story about a mentor who personally touched your life and shaped your personal outlook? Uh, You know, I I have had so many. Um, Of course, Alex Haley was one of them because he gave me the idea for the book and he gave me the idea about... uh, gave me the chance to uh, look at myself and and say to myself, how in the world did I ever get here? And think about other people and ask the same question of others. Um, I, I think for us as a company, uh, I, think, I think probably Ronald Reagan uh, came at a point in our lives that tremendously changed us. I love that story, by the way. Yeah, tell we that story. Absolutely. We knew absolutely nothing when we started in 1980. But in 1988, we represented a handful of people uh, like Peter Jennings and Art Buckwald and Charles Corralt and Lou Holtz and Jim Valvano and Terry Bradshaw. And, but, you know, we didn't represent any huge big names. And we got invited to the White House. And, and um, we th- went through a process of being interviewed with the st- from the, with the staff at the White House, and we were one of maybe 30 different agencies that were on the East Coast and a lot of Hollywood agencies that Reagan knew when he was an actor in Hollywood. 
And so we would go and we would be interviewed and then we'd go home and we'd feel uncomfortable and unhappy with our answers. And then somehow we'd get invited back again. And we got went through a process of two or three different interviews. And then we heard absolutely nothing for two months. And, you know, Washington is a town where gossip is key and and you hear everything and you can call somebody on the phone but nobody had heard a word no decision as far as we knew it had been made then we got a call saying that you know that he had selected us to represent him and we're very superstitious and so I didn't want to ask, you know, how how did this all come about and how did it happen? I was afraid maybe this was a mistake and they had called the wrong number and they were having to figuring out how they were going to tell us that, you know, no, you don't represent them. Uh, but a couple of years later, I, I asked the um, chief of staff, um, who is now publisher of the Washington Post, how it all happened. And he said he, he wanted he picked us because uh, he wanted to help a group of entrepreneurs that were starting out in life today and give them a chance. And I sat there at my desk thinking how totally amazing that was. If you think about it, especially in today's environment with people, the people running for president, think of somebody who would put their trust in three people in a fledgling agency and think that we would not make a huge mistake in eight years of a career for him. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that said something to me that validated for me, uh, that, that no matter who you are, uh, or what the decision is, you want to make, you want to make decisions that you feel in your heart are the right things to do. Ooh, I, I mean, the story, that particular story is, is remarkable. And, and the other stories throughout the book are, are, are remarkable. And it, it kind of re- reminds me of, a question I was going to ask you, which is how can entrepreneurs make room in their lives and in their businesses to take advantage of the unexpected? Because that was unexpected. You know, I think, I think everything is unexpected. I mean, if you think about the day you have every, something happens during that day that's unexpected. You know, you, you, you have a problem in our instance, you know, I could have somebody, I could have a snowstorm somewhere. I can't get somewhere, somewhere else. I could have somebody that's sick. Uh, I could have uh, somebody, anything that any multitude of things. I mean, every agent in our company would have five to 10 people daily going in five to 10 different directions, meeting with five or 10 different organizations, having to fulfill obligations to them. And all those details had to be correct. So every day is full of, of times that, that are difficult. Um, you know, I mean, if you just have the pa- passion to get yourself up in the morning, I mean, the key is to be happy with what you're doing and to, and have a passion for doing it. And somehow things work out. I mean, I, I remember when, you know, when we first, I got health insurance for our company and, and gave it as a Christmas present to my wife. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it goes back to, you just don't take things for granted. I, you know, I could have bought my wife something other than health insurance, but we had got a health insurance, and then six months later, I had a baby who was born three months early that cost us $100,000 that insurance paid for that would have totally wiped me out. Oh, my gosh. So the key, I think, the key to handling adversity in good days and bad days and ups and downs is just 
make the right decisions. I mean, just know in your heart that what you're making and what you're deciding on is is the right thing to do. I mean, you can't go back in life and look and say, have regrets if if you're doing the right thing. And you can't help adversity. You can't help illness. You can't help tragedy from taking place. But you know if you do things, the right thing in your heart and you do them well, then you'll never have any regrets and, and you'll somehow you'll just survive. So especially today, there are, there's a myriad opportunities for entrepreneurs to pursue shiny objects, noise, distraction. How would you advise somebody sitting across from your desk today to filter out all of that noise and distraction so that they can make the right decision? You know, that's really, really a hard thing to do because we all know so many people that are in business you know, that we say, wow, they're really successful and wow, that's really, uh, they're really doing well. But, you, you know, I, I was successful, but I'm not a big finance guy that was hugely successful in life, but I am really happy with what I've accomplished in life. And I, I think all of us, we're not we're not all going to be Secretary of State. We're not all going to be the billionaire who runs a hedge fund. But in our way, each of us, we can accomplish great things and, and create a great life for ourselves if we have some humility and we make the right decisions. You just have to, and it is so hard. And, you know, I think about that when kids grow up today, my kids growing up today, the temptations are greater than they have ever been. The temptations were less when I was growing up. The, th- the thing is we have to keep some values. You and I talked about networking and values, how values of, of relationships have changed. Well, I mean, that's, that's something that just never changes. And there are other things in life that just never change. And whatever you build, you build based on a solid foundation. And the minute you start taking it for granted is the, is the day you've lost. We became the, – the amazing thing for our, our story is that we became – we went from nothing sitting in a closet – to nine, in nine years becoming the lar- largest and number one lecture agency in, in the world. Today, since 1989, we remain the largest lecture agency in the world. And we've done so because we kept that foundation of honesty and, and care and taking care of people and making decisions of the right way and for the right reasons. If we lost that, then we would fail. I mean, we're the only agency in the history, and these agencies started back in the Civil War, time of the Civil War, when it, when when people represented Mark Twain and and Abraham Lincoln spoke, and and every three every ten years or fifteen years, some other agencies become prominent. We've been the agency that stayed prominent the longest, only because we kept that idea, that foundation of honesty and humility and everybody in our that we've represented has continued to be a handshake and if we lost that we we could lose who we are within years so i mean keeping a good solid foundation pu- pushing that noise out out Understanding yourself and wanting to do things for the right reasons you keep you got to keep some of that foundation things some of the things people were doing in the 1950s and 1960s and 1970s are really good things because they built good foundations, things that lasted, good, solid people with character. 
And that's the key is to be just you've got to be a good, solid person with character and build a company or organization with good, solid character. That's what leaders do. And, and you guys have done a phenomenal job with that. And and it, the handshake, which I'm, I was very excited to hear that the handshake is still the core component component of your agreements today. That's the soul of your your business. And and the reason you guys are still number one is because you've never sold your soul to the devil, so to speak. You you talk a lot about trust and and integrity and relationships. What role has friendship played throughout your career as a leader in a very competitive industry? I think from from the time Alex Haley said those words to me, I started thinking about, you know, what do I have here? I mean, what you know, yes, I represent some people and they go out and do speaking engagements, but what do I have here? And it goes back to your original question about what super uh, power that I wanted. The a whole idea of that these people are, what I learned, are good, caring people who came from humble beginnings. Uh, they just happen to realize something in their life. Each of these stories tells something in their life that that changed their life, an influence or a defining moment, a turning point in their lives. And they're just like you and me. I I have had people say to me, uh, geez, it must be amazing working with these people. Actually, these people, and they've also said to me, well, you know, there must be a lot of these people you don't like or a lot of these people that give you a hard time. The truthful answer is that I have had virtually no one give me a hard time. Because the key to success is developing friendships. I mean, that is that is it. When a friendship is based on trust and honesty, and I could I could survive representing Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and Colin Powell and Condi Rice and Madeleine Albright all because I shook their hand. I could survive that because I cared about them. I wanted them to trust me, and when they did trust me, I lived up to the trust that they gave. So. I think there is really nothing more important in life than than trust and honesty. It, nothing more important than friendship. Trust and friendship comes from trust and honesty. And you know, I mean, whether you're living next door to somebody or so, you're representing somebody in an agency like me, the key to a good, happy life and successful life is that trust and honesty and those friendships. When I when I ask people to to do this for the book. I thought in my head, you know, really, I'm really imposing on these people. And they ended up, and every single one of them said yes to me. And every one of them, single one of them spent hours on the phone for me with me, allowing me to tape the conversation so I could write their stories. Every one of them opened up to me to tell, you know, not just, well, I, I became successful because I did this and work, but no, because because somebody died and, and it changed my life or or somebody came into my life and sent me in another path, another direction. When I was thinking about doing the book, Bob Woodward said to me, who famous investigative journalist who has spent a career, you know, finding the dark side, the real truth behind the truth, said to me that the most difficult thing you're going to have is that it's hard for people to open up and say, 
you know, this is really what happened in my life. What I found in the because of my friendships that it was rather easy. And that's what I'm so, so proud of the stories is because they're not stories about how I became successful. They're stories about how my life changed. So you, you, me, and the friends that we have can read one of these stories and probably see themselves in it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I read the whole entire book and the stories just jump off the page because the thing that you don't read in the book is I became successful because I got such and such a degree or I earned a million dollars. You know, you don't hear that in the book and that's not what's shared. One of the stories that immediately comes to mind is the story of Debbie Fields, you know, Miss Fields cookies. And just that moment when she's in this library or, or some big house with some potential big client for her fiance or boyfriend or husband. I can't remember the exact details right now, but this guy totally insulted and rejected her and it just fueled her and motivated her. And here she is today with this gigantic, very successful cookie company. Yeah, And she was successful because she followed the same formula that you gave out a moment ago. She gave it away. Yep. She gave away her product, and you gave it away in the form of a handshake. Yeah, and and, and and it was so true with her. I mean, that that is the key to entrepreneurism. I think is the, is passion. That gave her the passion to say, you know what? I just I am t- too good for that. I, I I am a better person for that. I can do better. And that's what drove her. I mean, she showed up in her the first time she opened her little store in a in a mall. Uh, you know, she didn't sell a cookie for the whole morning. No, nobody even would walk in until she came up with a clever idea of going out and giving them away. And and the more they tasted, the more they came into the store and bought. But you're right. That goes back to the whole idea of of just opening yourself up. Uh, you know. Being being honest with people and and treating people, you know the the way that you would want to be treated. You know this has been a real honor and treasure having you on my show, and I have a few more questions before we wrap up. And after this leadership series that I'm doing, which you're involved in, I'm working on a series of interviews regarding developing and maintaining a champion's mindset. When you hear that phrase, who do you know that comes to mind? Oh, gosh. I mean, um, I think so many people. I mean, you know, we traditionally, when you say a champion's mindset, you go to you, you go to athletes. Uh, I mean, you know, you've got Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, who, whose mother was a um, cleaning woman and uh, would go to clean the, uh, uh, the gym from 8 o'clock at night and come home just in time to cook breakfast for him and, and had an 8th grade education. In fact, she only she went to the 8th grade twice. And then his father, who was a elevator operator, and, uh, and they told Mike, simply said, gave Mike such, and, and they were Polish, they barely spoke good English. And, but they said to Mike when he was entering high school, said to Mike to make sure you get on the right bus. And Mike said, you know, was a real smart, alecky kid and said, yeah, mom, I know, I know. I take this bus to this street and then I transfer and take another bus and then takes me to the high school and in, in the city of Chicago. And, and she says, no, Mike, when you get on a bus, make sure you get on the bus with good people. 
And if you ever drive that bus, if you're ever making decisions for yourself, make sure that you only let good people on that bus. So a champion's mindset, I think, comes down to comes down to the foundation on which you succeed. Uh, Lou Holtz, who was the football coach at Notre Dame, I mean, can imagine if you were in business today and you took over six failing companies, and by the second year, the company was successful. That's what Lou Holtz did. He went to six major universities, each major university as a football coach. Every one of them had a losing record. In in, and by the second year, he took every single one of them to a bowl, bowl game. Nobody has done that ever in the history of college football. That is a champion's mindset. The mindset that, you know, that I've got a good foundation and, and I'm determined to, to succeed at what I'm doing. That's where the, you go back to the passion. I mean, that's, passion gives us determination, gives us that champion's mindset. You know, that we think we can do whatever we think we can do. Lou Holtz was one of the first motivational books I ever read as a kid. So he's got a special special place in my heart, and I'm a huge Notre Dame fan. So uh, is this what you want to be remembered for? In other words, is the book what you want to be remembered for, or is there something else? When we were uh, when we were growing, uh, starting the company in Washington D.C. is a real cocktail kind of place, and Paula used to say to me, "Gee, we never go to cocktail parties. We never, I never see any of these people." And especially when she ended up going home, she'd say she never saw any of these people. And and I and I used to say, "You know what? Our job is to is to do one thing, and that's the and that's to take care of people." So. I think if, if I'm known for anything, I, I just want to be known that that did so, that I'm an example of a person that did something without knowing what they were doing, but with a passion for doing it. And if I'm an ex- example of anything, it's just simply a person who did it all with passion. And that's it. That's awesome. What's the number one thing you want listeners to remember from our conversation today? I think I think just that uh, you know whatever you do, remember remember whatever you are, whether you are a friend of somebody or whether you're running an entrepreneurial company or it doesn't make any difference who you are. You have a brand. What you are and who you are is your brand. And uh, and when you build a company that uh, and and an organization, if you start a com- an entrepreneurial. Uh, organization then started by saying it's built on me. It's built on who I am. And so I think that's that's the key for me. You know, speaking of, of brand, you have a brand and you want and need people to interact with you. So how can I, where can I send listeners to connect with you and interact with you? Well, I am on, I'm on Facebook uh, and I do, I get a lot of questions because uh, I have a lot of people who want to be speakers, and I'm glad to answer those questions. Uh, I also have a website, BernieSwain.com, and, and people can go there, um, and, and I'm doing a lot of articles there, So uh, I th- and I'm on LinkedIn as well, so I think any of those three places would be great. Well, we'll be sure to re- refer to all of these and, and all of the other resources that you've shared in the show notes, and I just want to take a moment to appreciate you, Bernie, appreciate you for being the risk taker 
back in the day and setting an example for so many leaders then and now in terms of giving it away, building a business with a soul, and making sure that ultimately you take care of your clients and serve them well by being a man of character and integrity and honesty. So I just want to say thank you so much for for doing that and for being a guest on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Mike, thank you very much. you got a great reputation and I was honored to be here. Bernie, you are a legend. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and insight with us. And congratulations on your new book, What Made Me Who I Am. Everybody head over to the show notes page and buy that book right now. It contains powerful stories and insights from some of the greatest human beings on the planet. And again, you can check that out in the show notes page for a summary of our conversation and especially the link to Bernie's book. You will gain insight into the hearts and minds of some of the most well-known, respected leaders and visionaries in the world, literally. So visit www.theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash 28 for all the key points and highlights of our conversation. And while you're there, be sure to support our sponsors, the Lawton Marketing Group and Unstuck Life Courses. We are blessed to have them as partners. And don't forget, for those of you who are doing the life courses right now, hit us up on Facebook and let us know how it's going and what your experience has been, especially if you are a member of the Impact Insider community. And if you're not, go join that community right now. It's a closed Facebook group by visiting www.theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash group and sign up today. Thank you, Cody and the Podcast Masters team for helping me produce an awesome show. Until next time, go make an impact. And by the way, head over to iTunes and tell the world how much you love this show.